This is The Recap, a weekly reflection on the sermons of Fellowship Baptist Church in Mainville, Ohio, seeking to help you make Jesus essential in every aspect of your life. I'm your host this week, Ryan Land, and I'm here with the preacher of this week's sermon, Brent Wilson. Brent, welcome back. We're back, baby. We're back. We're in a new room. Uh, new room. With some... In the basement. Some funky walls. The walls have yet to be painted. Please, please ex- if there's any audio issues, please excuse me because it's in a new space. And so I'm not, not no. quite sure. Uh, but we're down in the basement and, you know, we we got a little flack from from some people that we talked about football at the beginning. We did? We did for a lot, a lot uh, of episodes uh, uh, in the past. But I am going to ask you who, who you got in the Super Bowl this year. Ooh, man. Uh, I think I probably have the 49ers. Okay. Um, Boo. And versus, I'm trying to think of who the, probably the Bills. 49ers versus 49ers the Bills. Bills. That'd be a good game. That'd be a good yeah, game. Yeah, that's my, that's my um, Super Bowl pick. I There's only one NFC team I want to go. Actually, that's not true. I want it to be the Lions or the Packers. Um, See, if we do that, I want Lions-Texans. Uh, well, the, it can't be Lions-Packers. That's my NFC pick. Oh. Uh I, it can be the Texans or AFC. The Texans or AFC. I would like yeah. to see the Texans go. Okay. I don't think it'll happen. Uh, Rookie quarterback. I would like to see. The, I would like to see the Bills go. Uh, not the Chiefs though. Not so, any. Literally, almost anyone but the Chiefs first. Ravens second. This yeah, is yeah. The no go. Uh, is it go? Is it go? No go. Um, so, all right. Well, uh, the recap. We're here to discuss. Should breaks. we start to like just start a sports podcast? No. <laughs> the world does not need any more podcasts. Uh, the, the fact that we do this one is already too many. Uh, <laughs> so the recap, we're here to talk a little bit, dive a little bit deeper into Brent's sermon from Sunday, which was on First Corinthians chapter 11. It's a doozy. Uh, and it is a doozy about <laughs> head coverings and about authority and about gender roles and um, all of those things. But before we actually dive into the actual, you know, uh, content of the sermon and 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 we you addressed this at the beginning of your sermon, is that let's, let's talk a little bit about... Uh, expository preaching. Uh, yeah. One, what is that? What if if people don't know what that is? What is expository preaching? Yeah. So simply put, there are, for broad categories' sake, two big types of preaching: expository or topical. Topical preaching is I take a topic, um, you know, love, and I can pull verses from wherever throughout the Bible and kind of talk about the idea of love or God's love or whatever. Mm-hmm. Expository preaching is to take a specific text. To understand the author's intent, uh, you know, Paul or Moses, whoever's writing, uh, their intent in that passage. And the sermon is to, to communicate what the author is trying to say from that specific text. What mm-hmm. is the meaning of this clump of verses that are together in their context? Mm-hmm. So that's expository preaching. And, and expository sounds like this big, fancy word. It's it's just the word expose, right? It's, just, mm-hmm. it's preaching that exposes the meaning of the text. So yeah. expository uh, preaching. So one of the, one of the, I mean, me and you both are sort of agreed on what the benefits of expository preaching are. It's like when you're getting at the real meaning of the text, mm-hmm. uh, the intention of the text. But one, one of the uh, one of the reasons people don't do sort of in in uh, intentional expository preaching from the pulpit is because of texts like this. Yeah, yeah. Particularly, you know, so I mean, theoretically, you could do expository preaching and still jump around. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, which we do sometimes, like at Christmas, or maybe mm-hmm. we we'll jump around or something. But uh, but ideally, you're doing expository preaching through whole books of the Bible because mm-hmm. you know when these, particularly you know, they think of the the letters. Really, all of it was intended to be read in a sitting. Yeah. Right. So it's a it's a whole thought across the whole book, and so 
Uh, we don't want to just pick and choose. Uh, we think the whole Bible is the Word of God. It's all profitable. It's mm-hmm. all for our building up and our correction and training in righteousness. And so uh, we want to preach to those books of the Bible. But when you do that, uh, you you come to passages that you can't skip, mm-hmm. right, or or shouldn't skip. And so mm-hmm. that forces you uh, to deal with and preach and talk about topics or issues or uh, theologies that mm-hmm. uh, maybe are uncomfortable, maybe are hard, maybe like would, would just be easier to like avoid it altogether. Yeah, yeah. Like, S- some that just like give you the ick, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, just sort of like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it forces us to do that, and it's a good thing mm-hmm. uh, because it, because if we, if we don't talk about it, then no one knows what to think about, mm-hmm. or that. And so when so when some other some, someone else is going to come along and teach them about that thing, mm-hmm. and maybe teach them wrongly, uh, and so or they're they're going to read it for themselves and think, oh, I don't I don't know what all this is about. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that I like this. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I think that's good, um, and I think I think First Corinthians specifically has had a lot of numerous <laughs> areas where it's been like maybe that's not something we would have intentionally chosen to preach on mm-hmm. but because it was there in the text it was we had to address it and so yeah and it's just i think just in the sovereignty of god as you go through those things it's like oh i would have never chosen to preach on this topic necessarily mm-hmm. uh but god uses those things to uh build his church mm-hmm. edifies people uh, and just do things it's like that we would have normally done and and uh if we chose to do it and i just think back over the past year, year and a half, three things jumped out into me as like big things that I probably would not have tackled mm-hmm. um, had I just not had had to through the text. <laughs> yeah. uh, one had been when we were in Romans, I talked about the doctrine of election from Romans chapter nine. Mm-hmm. Um, then even in this book, uh, church discipline, mm-hmm. uh, you know, earlier uh, this fall, uh, and then this week in gender roles, right? yeah, male yeah. headship. Um, and so I think, I think there's a great benefit to that because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's uh, let's kind of shift our focus to the the actual content of the text. The the first, I think, major question that we have to like talk about and think about when we're reading the text. You mentioned expository preaching. You know, getting to the author's intent. Well, it's like, what, why why does Paul care about this? Like, why is he why is he yeah. bringing it up? You know, we're in this series like church matters. We're the the, the other kind of moments in First Corinthians. You know, he's been talking about food sacrifice to idols. He's talking about uh, sexual immorality. And he's been talking about, you know, church discipline and all kind of that stuff. And then like, now here we are. And he's like, and women wear, wear your head coverings. Yeah. So it seems kind of out of left field. So, yeah. So if you read a book like Romans, Romans mm-hmm. is written a little bit more of like, uh, Paul's like laying out all of his theology. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, there's not necessarily like, Oh, I'm addressing this one particular thing. Mm-hmm. The rest of the, his letters kind of typically are. And so, First Corinthians, he's not like, hey, let me just teach you guys all these random things. He's he's addressing specific issues. Yeah. And so in the city of Corinth, which is a Roman uh, city, uh, they're worshiping pagan false gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the ones that they would worship in Corinth was uh, Dionysus. And Mr. Uh, Mr. D. Mr. D. If you're watching, uh, let us know in the comments if you're watching. Uh, There's no comment. Uh, I guess YouTube, I yeah, guess. Yeah, YouTube comments. Uh if you're watching Percy Jackson, it doesn't go up on YouTube. If you're not wherever this goes, wherever you watch your podcast, just text us. Send te- us a text. Yeah, te- text me. Around. I'm watching Percy Jackson. Yeah, we're watching it as uh, me and the older two girls and Kate are watching it. Uh, it's fun. But Mr. D, Dionysus, uh, uh, in Greek mythology, is the son of Zeus, but not by Zeus's wife Hera, but by uh, a mortal woman. And so uh, Dionysus 
uh, is in fear for his life because Hera is mad at Zeus for this affair, God affair or whatever. And uh, once she wants to kill him. And so he's hiding from her by pretending to be a woman, dressing like a woman, acting like a woman. Uh, and so his worshipers uh, worship him through cross-dressing and not just dressing, but even uh, mutil- bodily mutilation uh, uh, and just pretending to be the other sex mm-hmm. as much as they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was a big deal in their culture. And so some of that was creeping into the church um, and, and they saw no distinction or they bring these things in. And so Paul is addressing, hey, we got we to talk about this. And so he's bringing it up in the context of this problem. Okay. Okay. It's like I think I think that's helpful when we're when we're reading this to be like th- this is act this is something that was really going on in the you know in the church. And I think that changes how we how we read it. You know, yeah. it's like if it was just sort of this ethereal sort of contemplative thing, you read that one way. But but to know that it's like there's there's people who are really whose lives are like really deeply. Mm-hmm. affected by what Paul is teaching here, I think is, I think is, uh, is, is really important. And, and, and I just, I, I just went to pull it up and uh, he actually is like in verse two is, is giving them a compliment, right? He's like saying, you're doing good at this. He's like, I commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain their traditions and deliver them as I've delivered them to you. You're right. Saying like, good job. You're, mm-hmm. you're following the, traditions and then, and then he's like but here's why right why here's why i want you to do this mm-hmm. um and so he's given this sort of like theological uh backdrop of why he's wanting them to do this mm-hmm. and so you you talked about this sort of here's another kind of scholarly theological word is the the hermeneutical principle of of reading that text so Talk to us about what, what's hermeneutics first. Yeah, well, so it's interesting. Here's another Greek God reference. So hermeneutics is it's something Christians, theologians, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Bible professors will use to talk about. Hermeneutics is the 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 skill or the uh, the, the study of uh, of how to read the rules for interpretation or mm-hmm. how to read your Bible. Well, it comes from the Greek God Hermes, mm-hmm. uh, who Deli- the deliverer God, the yeah, messenger, the, the messenger God. Right? God. Yeah. And so um, that's so, funny. So we get Hermes. Oh, you did. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. so. Um, uh, who is played by uh, none other than? Don't say that's spoiler. Oh, spoiler alert! Never mind. I won't say it. Okay, go watch the show. Um, but so hermeneutics uh, is the ability, the the school of thought of around how you interpret the Bible. Like mm-hmm. you can't just read the Bible however you want to. Mm-hmm. There are rules, and that's not, not just the Bible. It's like any, yeah, it's any, any anything you read, any literature has hermen has a hermeneutical standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so when uh, you read an article online. Yeah. Yeah, you read it different than you do a Sherlock Holmes novel because right. one of them happened and one of them didn't. Right, right. So and so there are these rules, and so um, so that's where that word comes from. But, yeah, uh, and when we use those when trying to interpret the Bible. But yeah. the one that we learned here in this text is that uh, sometimes people will uh, dismiss uh, a text of scripture by saying, "Oh, that's just cultural. We don't do do that anymore." And they do that in the New Testament and the Old Testament. For mm-hmm. example, in the Old Testament, they'll say. Oh, uh, in the Old Testament, they didn't they they weren't allowed to eat pork, but that was that was then. This mm-hmm. is now. We don't mm-hmm. do that anymore, and they don't actually get to the why we can eat pork now. They don't actually mm-hmm. do the work to get there, uh, and so and honestly, don't have a lot of confidence that they mm-hmm. have thought about it. Should they or should they not eat pork? Mm-hmm. And so then you come to a text like this, and it's like. Okay, there. Uh, Paul is saying that women should either have long hair or they should cover their head. Men should not have long hair. 
uh, what's going on here. And so the hermeneutical principle is we got to figure out, okay, what is the timeless truth that Paul or whoever is articulating? And then how is he applying that truth to the first century? Mm -hmm. And how do we take that same truth and apply it to the 21st century? Yeah. America, in our context, you know, it may be different mm -hmm. for us. We, we live in Scotland or something. Oh, yeah. Um, and so we want to keep the truth and apply it differently to today. And so I think that's an important principle um, and not just dismissing the whole thing because mm -hmm. the example I used was from later in this uh, book in chapter 16, Paul gives a command to greet each other with a holy kiss. Mm -hmm. Well, we're not doing that anymore. Are we not biblical? Are we not faithful because we're not kissing each other all the time? Mm -hmm. No, the, the truth there is that we should greet each other with warmth and affection as family. Um, and the application for the first century was via a kiss. The application for us might be a bro hug, right? Um, okay, you, you got to pause. What's a bro hug? You know, it's like when you dap up. It's like when you okay. when you, when you get you the both, handshake. You, you, so it's you, a dap plus hug. Yeah, it's a, it's a handshake okay. that slides into a hug, had, a little pat, and then you wrap it up at the end of a snap. I had a couple of people ask me what a bro hug was. Really? I told them I wasn't sure. Oh, fascinating. So I, 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 didn't, I didn't know yeah. what the bro hug was. Um, so... That's good to know. Yeah. So, uh, so take that. Let, let, let's take, is there, is there somewhere else you can think of in scripture where we see um, this same hermeneutical principle play out? So like either we see something cultural that's condemned. Because uh, I, I can think of one that's like a little bit, it's like kind of the reverse yeah, well, you, of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so P, uh, Jesus is talking about I almost said Peter. I don't know why. <laughs> Jesus is talking about marriage, uh -huh. and he he roots his and and I th I I think people would be able to say and uh, people do say, well, Jesus was a man of his time, right? And so mm -hmm. so Jesus wasn't going to teach a pro homosexual sexual mm, ethic yeah. because he was in a time and in a culture, but yeah. that was a cultural teaching, not just a, not a, not a mm -hmm. timeless teaching, except for the fact that Jesus roots his argument. And this is in the Sermon on the Mount. I can't remember exactly where, but in creation, right? yeah. he talks about Adam and Eve right. uh, in, a, in a similar way that, that, that Paul does in right. Ephesians and here. And so uh, it, it's, it's, you know, to say, oh, Jesus was just teaching sort of a cultural mm -hmm. principle about marriage. Mm -hmm. You got to say, well, no, no, no. Like he roots it in something deeper, yeah. right? In, in, in a theological truth that's unchanged, in an unchanging, he, he yeah. roots it in an unchanging truth. Right. So it's like, it's never going to change right. that, that Eve was created for Adam, mm -hmm. right? And they were created to be the, the image of what marriage is. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's never going to change. Therefore, Jesus's teaching on marriage cannot be for one moment, it's mm -hmm. it's for for, for all moments, for yeah. all moments. Yeah. and so uh, I didn't know if besides the holy kiss. I, I, yeah, thing, I just thought of another one. Uh, there's a passage. Uh, it's a Paul passage. Uh, I can't, maybe Second Corinthians, but uh, where he's talking about modesty, and he mm -hmm. says, you know, don't braid your hair, uh, don't, uh, and he gives kind of some specifics about things not to do. Oh yeah, wear rings. Yeah, 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 earrings. But, but it's like, well, back then braided hair communicated lavish rich, mm. you know, whatever. Uh, and it was flaunting your wealth and these things. And it's like braided hair does not communicate that anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so take the timeless truth of like dress modestly, both mm -hmm. from a don't flaunt your wealth as well as uh, don't, you know, flaunt your body. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, 
but that it's going to be applied differently yeah, today. Yeah. Um, so, you know. yeah. So I think I just, it's, it's a good question to ask, like, is this, is this thing rooted in a deep theological truth that's unchanging or is it, yeah. is it something that's, that's for the moment? Because you, and you talked about this in your sermon, you can read this really wrongly, like sort of to the right or to the left. Like mm. you can be too, cons- you could read this text and be too conservative about it. Yeah. I, the way I said it was you can underinterpret it or overinterpret yeah, yeah. it. I was like, you can be, you know, extremely, you know, legalistic about yeah. it, or you can be libertine about it. You can yeah. be, you know, so you could say, uh, one per one person might say like, oh, well, you got to do all this stuff. I just got a text. But here's the, th- here's the thing that's interesting. It's like some people would say, oh, you're not reading the Bible literally. Like people get on this kick, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we got to read the Bible literally. And it's like, well, yes, sort of. Yes, when the Bible is meant to be taken literally. Yeah. And no, when the Bible is not meant to be taken well, literally. And I think like, I think, I think Paul intended for this to be taken literally. The timeless truth is, li- yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, like, I mean, even like the, the head coverings is like he's yeah, literally he's saying that literally to telling them to wear head coverings. Yeah, but but what that what he doesn't do is say uh, is root the head covering thing in, in creation, in like, creation, yeah, yeah. or like, like it's he some does, timeless, it's and, a big truth, yeah. which is interesting because he does do that in other places when he's specifically talking about gender roles. Is he he roots it mm-hmm. in creation, but in these other the holy kiss thing, he's he just saying like remember to do this, like yeah. this is a good tradition, this is a good thing mm-hmm. that we do. Um, but he's, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not the timeless truth. It's the application. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just interesting that like, there is this segment of people who almost equate the word literally and true. Yes. Yes. And it's like, we think the whole Bible is true, mm-hmm. but we don't take the whole Bible well, literally. Well, to not take something not literally doesn't mean it's not true. Like well, I don't read song of Solomon literally. Yeah. Well, it's like, I remember when a Sunday school teacher, I mean, I, I mean, I was old enough to remember this. So if I was in like elementary school, uh, uh, a Sunday school teacher asked me like about one of the parables mm-hmm. and said, did this happen? And I said, yeah, it's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, no, it didn't happen. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, this teacher doesn't believe the Bible happened. Yeah. Uh, but what she meant was the, you know, whatever story it was, the good Samaritan. Yeah. That thing didn't happen. It's just a story. Literally, told. Yeah, yeah. Jesus told the story that happened. But if we were to read the Good Samaritan literally, yeah, then it would mean that it happened. It's a historical fact, right? Like so, um, we gotta, yeah, we got to be careful with that word. Mm-hmm. That word literally, because um, these are these are hermeneutical principles. Yeah, yeah. By which we interpret different genres in different ways. Yeah, like it's, you shouldn't read the whole book of Revelation literally. There's a lot mm-hmm. of metaphor and simile mm-hmm. and imagery uh mm-hmm. going on in this apocryphal literature mm-hmm. uh which makes it so hard to interpret yeah so and 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 it's 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 this thing we got to be really careful about because i think sometimes we can forsake truth by saying like well this is metaphorical or this is you know a simile or mm-hmm. whatever right and and other times we can forsake truth by being so by seeking to be so literal mm-hmm. uh you know and so we 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 want to try to read the Bible the best we can. Yeah. Right? On its and, terms. Yeah. And it's it, within its own genre within. Mm-hmm. And that's why we try to get to what the author meant, not what we think it means yeah, or yeah. what. Yeah. And so that's a really huge kind of conversation that um, uh, there's, there's multiple really good books on. That's a whole seminary on, class. That's a whole seminary class. That's true. 
hermeneutics <laughs> uh, intro too. So let's let's so the head the head coverings thing, which I do want to say, I know some people who take this who obey this command okay. oh, really? and like wear head coverings to church. Oh, fascinating! Um, and so, uh, like, like more power to him. I disagree with him on the the interpretation, but it's not that you can't. Yeah, yeah. It's just not. We just don't read the read the text and think as a that, command. As yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but some people do and yeah. go to Baptist churches or Reformed churches or whatever. And so, like, we're we're cool with them. We're tight. Um, <laughs> we're not we're not saying you can't do it. Uh, we're just saying you don't have to do it. Yeah. Uh, so. That's, I think that's a good caveat to add to the conversation. One of the reasons I tried to be careful about not to give a lot of application, like to, so some of the application was like, hey, men dress like men, women dress like women, um, is to not give a lot of application to that is because that's always changing. And if I say, oh, don't do this, well, that may change in five years, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's really like, use your best wisdom and discernment mm-hmm. to apply this timeless truth that men should dress like men, women should dress like women. Or that wives should submit to their husbands. Communicate that in culturally appropriate ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think, and and one of the things that I think is really kind of challenging about this text, specifically in this kind of day and age, is that that target does move so much, right? What what does a man dress like? What does a woman dress like? Yeah. Some older listeners yeah. of this may be like, that doesn't change. Um, like it does. And uh, well, you gave like, me a great example after the service. What that pink used to oh, be a very yeah. masculine color. Yeah, yeah, like like J. There's there's these famous baby pictures of JFK, and he looks like a little baby girl mm-hmm. because he's in these like pink ruffly clothes. And it's because it was a very masculine thing mm-hmm. to dress to dress your baby boys in these pink ruffly sort of onesies. Yeah, and girls would be put in blue. And so at, at some point that switched. I'm not exactly sure the history on. It. I yeah. can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, so this is changing, but I think we have a responsibility as Christians to say, to have some standard, right? Mm-hmm. Because in a in a moment where gender, there's so much gender confusion, mm. uh, I think we have a responsibility and and uh, uh, do, have to do our due diligence to to teach our kids, like, hey, we're not going to wear the Elsa dress to church. Right, <laughs> little little boy. Oh yeah. Like we're not like I don't care if your daughter wears elsa dressed to church. Yeah. I actually don't care if she wears church. But like th- I think there is like a good principle to be taught here to be raising children. Yeah. Within the 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 cultural expression of their gender, mm-hmm. um, and not to be we we should not be the ones out there being uh, gender nonconformists and putting uh, nail polish on our fingers. Yeah. I'm talking. I'm speaking from like a masculine point of view. Wearing kilts. If we're not in Scotland, man, uh, sorry, uh, because if we were in a different cultural moment, I would maybe not say that. But I think because there's so much gender confusion, specifically among teenagers and and young kids, I think we have a responsibility to uphold the standard and not challenge it. And I a little bit think that's what Paul is saying. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because that comes in a little bit of attention of something else that you and I talk about a lot of. We don't want to say, hey, boys, you can only play with these toys and girls only can play with these toys. Girls, mm-hmm. you know, girls aren't allowed to fix cars and shoot guns and go hunting. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, that, that's not what we're saying. Like, you go do these things, enjoy these things. There's not mm-hmm. boy activities and girl activities. Mm-hmm. We're just saying uh, in culturally appropriate ways, uh, search out femininity and masculinity. Yeah. And, and those sometimes cross over, mm-hmm. you know, in interests and likes mm-hmm. and hobbies. Uh, that doesn't, if you like to go hunting, doesn't mean you're a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a tension there. Yeah. Uh, a, a tension to be managed, not a problem to solve, I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so, uh, but it, 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 it's a, it's a much more fascinating text, I think now. Oh yeah. Than it was 15 years ago. For sure. You know, it's like, has a a lot more uh, weight to it than it, than it would have maybe in a time where men were wearing suits and women were dresses all the time. It's like, we could see that now there's less of a distinction. So do Christians have more of a responsibility Mm. to uphold the distinctions? For sure. Um, So let's talk about, uh, let's go into the, you know, we've been talking about the, the head coverings, the, the the cultural expression. Let's go into the, the sort of timeless truth of Mm -hmm. the, of the content. So, you know, um, a lot of this is about authority. It's about male headship. It's about women wear the head coverings as a sign of I am submissive to my husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you, the the kind of way you, you're talking about male headship, right? And so uh, let, let's first talk about uh, you talked about the the male headship being rooted in the in the Trinity. Un- unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So he roots it in creation, like we just talked about. He roots it in the Trinity because uh, he does this in several places in scripture. Mm-hmm. Here's one of them. Uh, how Jesus, the God, the son always submits to God, the father. Uh, you know, Jesus says, I've come not to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. Um, and so he's doing the father's will. Even mm-hmm. in the garden of Gethsemane, he's like, father, if there's a, another way, take this mm-hmm. cup for me, but not mm-hmm. my will, but your will be done. Mm-hmm. And so if Jesus submits to the father and they are equal in their essence, they're equally God. And, it, and Jesus' submission doesn't make him inferior uh, or less than, then in the same way, wives can submit to their husband and still have equal essence, equal, um, you know, equal equality in their being and their humanness and their image of Godness, uh, but have different roles and functions, mm-hmm. just as the father and the son have different roles and functions. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want a 10 page paper about why the son is only submissive to the father in the incarnation, what we call the economic Trinity versus the ontological Trinity, which is like eternally submissive, hit me up. I can send it to you. I've got <laughs> you one, wrote it because I wrote it, uh, <laughs> for school. Uh, but so I just wanted to get that out, mm-hmm. of, out, yeah. out of the way. Um, <laughs> I'm sure everyone was, was wondering. Let me know how many people hit you up for I was that. Like, I was like, oh, are they talking about the economic or the ontological <laughs> trinity? But if you are in a D group and you read, uh, you are a theologian, you know, you, you've that. heard that before. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's a perfect picture for us to think about gender. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, because we do talk about Jesus being sent by the Father, mm-hmm. and we do talk about the Holy Spirit being sent by the Son and the Father. But no one in their right mind thinks, oh, but the father is just like a little bit better than the son. And the son is like this weak, Jesus is like this weak uh, servant, like slave, like whatever. Yeah. Of, Oppressed. Of, of, yeah. No, like no one thinks Jesus, like the father is the oppressor of Jesus. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's, that's not what we think. And so it's, it is this crystal clear picture of how we are, are mm-hmm. to think about genders uh, is that men have made in the image of God and have ex- have expressions and responsibilities and, you know, whatever duties mm-hmm. and women have are, are important and valuable, made in the image of God and have responsibilities and duties and um, responsibility, all those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, 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 it's not like, like, and it's hard for us to, we don't, we don't often apply that, that principle from the Trinity. Mm-hmm. When we think about gender, yeah, yeah, we either think of men as oppressors and women as as mm-hmm. the oppressed, mm-hmm. or we think of oh, we've got to have you know, um, 
equal opportunity on all fronts in all things. Yeah. And and that's not the case to be mm-hmm. um to that's not what the Christian yeah. text, that's not what the Bible says. And, and I suggests. think a lot of the trouble we have with this is that we've seen it done so poorly. So oh, often. for sure. Yeah. So we have we, you know, we joke about the churches that thankfully are probably fewer, but are there's still many of them who, you know, you cannot wear pants be a woman and wear pants to the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I talked to a pastor here in our area who their church still, when they have business meeting, at a certain point, they send all the women to another room and all the men, uh, not the elders, just these men sit mm-hmm. in this room uh, mm-hmm. and, and make the decisions for the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are a lot of poor examples. There are a lot of abusive husbands who have um, used this as a mm-hmm. as a means to, um, you know, force their wives to do what they want them to do. Mm-hmm. You know, woman, get me my chips, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever. Uh, and so uh, we've seen this really poorly done. Um, and I think that's why when we come to a text like this, it's hard mm-hmm. because we're defensive against like, well, I don't want that. Oh, yeah. And we're saying, no, we don't want that either. That's not what this is. That's not what God's saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's this, you know, it's, it's we we have this like almost cartoonish view in our mind of like, like an Al Bundy sort of like a a demanding husband. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of this like buffoon who's just like order, you know, whatever. And it's yeah. like, I, but I, I think that that is this, I mean, not the buffoonery, but the, the, uh, the abuse of authority, I think is, is, has been the, the prevalent thing yeah. in society, uh, at least in our cultural context, right. For, the majority of our nation's history, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and, yeah. and we've just now in the last 20, 30, 40 years been moving into this sort of like uh, like new wave sort of feminist movement that is that is sort of like trying to subvert men mm-hmm. in like in roles and responsibilities. And so it's I think it's fair to say, hey, the reason we push against this text mm-hmm. is because historically we've seen it abused. Yeah. And I think that's fair. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a fair thing to to, mm-hmm. to say and to recognize, um, and and but not as an excuse to write it off altogether, but to say so we want to look at it really carefully. Yeah, yeah. So here's a, I read this book last year that um, just shocked me. It's called The Toxic War Masculinity, and by Nancy Piercy, by Nancy Piercy, by a woman, um, and she said uh, the it's fascinating. The most likely group of all groups in our country. This is not. This is religious, non-religious, of every possible group you can come up with. The most likely group to not get divorced, to not have their wives be abused, for their wives to report being happy, uh, and for the kids to report being cared for and loved uh, and prospering. Uh, that group was uh, Christian household men uh, who go to church at least three times a month. Hmm. The most likely, the, the least likely to get divorced, have abuse, their wives are happy, all that up. The, but the opposite, the group that is most likely to be divorced, to mm-hmm. commit abuse, to their wives are incredibly unhappy, their kids are uh, not loved, not cared for, unhappy, are also, quote unquote, Christians, but who don't regularly go to church. Mm-hmm. Often those, I think those get conflated into one big mm-hmm. uh, metric. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you separate them, it shows us something really fascinating. And it shows us, I think, that those people who are around church just enough to hear the ideas of uh, headship and submission uh, and these things, 
uh, are, are are around enough to understand those things and then use them to, sub, to subjugate women, oppress mm-hmm. women, mm-hmm. make them do what they want, but are not around the church long enough to understand, oh, there's another side to this coin. I died to myself mm-hmm. and I served my wife and my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm supposed to be like sa- sacrificing my life like Christ did for them. Uh, and so just fascinating that you've got literally the two extremes, the most likely and the least mm-hmm. likely to do all these things. Uh, and they're both sort of Christians, uh, church going and non-church going Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I don't know. It's fascinating. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of times we, we tend to, you know, when, when we assume when, when pastors preach on this text or when Sunday school teachers teach on this text, particularly when men teach on this mm-hmm. text, that we're advocating some sort of, uh, suppression of abuse we're advocating some sort of uh uh authoritarianism we're you know we're advocating some sort of like uh a male dominated society or something and so uh i i and those are all misunderstandings but natural misunderstandings given how this text has probably shaped society and how people think for for a a long time and so just like very simply what when, when we say the word male headship what is it because we, I mean, we yeah. talked about what it's not for just, just a little bit. So, so what is what is healthy male headship look like? Yeah, yeah. So, if male headship is not woman, give me my chips. If it's not servitude. If it's not you don't get to make any decisions. It's mm-hmm. not um, you know you just do what I tell you to do. Well, what it is, I think, is 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 ultimately accountability. Mm. Um, uh, so, I really said two things. It's, it's accountability. And it's when there's a tie in the decision-making process, the husband bears the weight of the final decision. Mm-hmm. So, which is really also kind of under the umbrella of accountability. Uh, and so at the end of the day, when you answer to the Lord about the health and flourishing of your marriage and your wife, uh, her life and her desires, you're accountable. You know, when the who does the Bible blame when Eve eats the fruit and sends the world into sin? Mm-hmm. The Bible never blames Eve. It mm-hmm. always blames Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether he was there right behind her, uh, passively not saying anything, or off in the garden doing something else mm-hmm. and not, uh, you know, not there with her, it's his fault. Uh, and so it's it's accountability. Is your uh, male headship is accountability and it's dying to myself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's if, if you know, it's also we talked about it's rooted in creation. This truth is rooted in the Trinity. It's also rooted in the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Well, mm-hmm. how did Christ love the church? We died. He gave up his life for her. And yeah. so and I, I think a lot of, I think a lot of times I'm just jumping in really quick. One that a, a lot of a lot of people, I think men can read that. I know I've been guilty of this and think, oh, yeah, I I'd, I'd, I'd die for my wife, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it's like, it's not that Jesus just came back, came to earth and died for the church. Mm-hmm. It's that he washed the disciples feet. Yeah. He was an obedient child. Mm. He was, you know, he was, uh, a friend to the sick, to, uh, you know, to yeah. the prostitutes. It's like, yeah. he was a servant. Yeah. And so it's interesting. It's like, when I say die, I don't mean you would just jump in front of a bullet for her. I mean that you wake up and you die to yourself every mm-hmm. day, every moment, every decision. Yeah. Um, I read one guy say this, and I don't know if I agree with this or not, but uh, he said it means that you're going to lose 90% of the arguments. Yeah. No, I think that I, I think probably you should lose 
closer to 100%. Because, I mean, if your arguments are anything like me and my wife, they usually don't matter. <laughs> That's probably And so true. it's yeah, like, yeah. She, should, she should just, she should just, I should, I should be willing to, if like, if Jesus was willing enough to, to take off glory and to put on humanity yeah. and to come and be a baby and, 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 and I'm supposed to be like that, like the least I can do is be like, yeah, I, I probably, you know, X, Y, or Z. You're, you're, you're yeah. right. Yeah. I, I, I did that. And I, I think um, that's the the piece sometimes we miss is we think, oh, die. yeah, I'll, we get all machismo about it. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd die for my, someone came in my house. I'd, I'd, I'd die for my wife. Mm-hmm. And it's like, bro, you won't do the dishes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't care. Like yeah. the odds of you having to, to, the odds of you having to take a yeah. bullet for your it, wife it's not- and the odds of you doing the laundry more right. than you're doing right now because you just think, oh, that's like the woman's thing to do yeah. is like much higher. But it, it's, it's interesting. The text says, it doesn't say die for your wife. It says die to yourself. Or that's, that's the idea, right? It's like death to self. Well, like, take um, up your cross. Take up give your cross. Yourself, give yourself up for yeah. her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, then it's interesting. It says to make her spotless, mm-hmm. radiant without, yeah, without spot yeah. or wrinkle. And so it's, it's like he you're doing this for her. And so mm-hmm. what is headship? It's accountability. It's I wake up every day like how do I serve her? How do I care mm-hmm. for her? How do I die to myself? How do mm-hmm. I get over me and focus mm-hmm. on her needs? And it's like if that's the model, if that's the case, what woman in her right mind would not be like, yeah, man, I'll follow this mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, he'll do it. he's doing all this. Like of course I'd follow him. Yeah. Why wouldn't I? Um, yeah, and I think what, one last thing that I just want to like clarify. I think when you say when you say like when there's a tie. Right. Mm-hmm. When, when, when husband and wife disagree and, and you say there's a tie, I, what I don't hear you saying, and I just want to make sure other people don't hear this is like, and so the husband gets his way. No. Every time. Yeah. Right. 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 For yeah. sure. No, like, he bears the weight mm-hmm. of having to, I mean, because like, you know, and you know, it's like, Hey, do we take this job and move to this place mm-hmm. or, or something smaller of like, do we go to this restaurant or that restaurant? Well, mm-hmm. we're sitting here arguing about where we're going to go. Well, someone's got to decide. Mm-hmm. Someone's got to decide, hey, are we going to spend the money to buy that pool? Mm-hmm. Is that worth it? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them wants to, one of them doesn't. Mm-hmm. Well, now someone's got to be the tiebreaker. And because he's the accountable party, mm-hmm. and because it's his job to die to himself and to care for the flourishing of his wife, then he's got to make a decision not based on his wants and needs, but based yeah. on the family's yeah. best interest mm-hmm. and has to bear the weight of whatever that decision is. Yeah. So, um, No, I, I think that's good. And so then that leads to then, you know, we get out of the the family unit. Uh, what is that first? What does that mean about what, is, what does this text have to say about, you know, just society? Nothing. Yeah. yeah nothing. <laughs> That's the same. <laughs> All right. But, but, no, but for seriously, I've on. met people uh, uh, with I'm going to do with a Ph.D. in systematic theology who argued with me that this uh, uh, spiraled onto the rest of society and that. Women should not be a manager at a McDonald's mm-hmm. because of this text. Yeah, I, I know people. And, and I'm just like, that is not in here at all. Yeah. There is two clear places where this happens. And it makes sense why they're in these two places. Uh, it's the home and the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that wasn't the case, think about how weird it would be for the husband to be the head of his wife at home. And then they come to the church and the role gets reversed. Mm-hmm. Like That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, these two places, women can be managers, supervisors, CEOs, mm-hmm. and presidents of the United States. Yeah. Or whatever else they want to be. Uh, and so it's in the home and in the church 
where there are limitations on their function yeah or okay. their role so so then in the church what what does that mean what are what are women and men what are their roles and responsibilities in the church yeah you know the, the bible really only talks about two offices mm -hmm. uh elders and deacons um and so any anything outside of the two offices well so 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 we just talk about okay things happen in the church you have elders you have deacons uh you have teaching you know there can mm -hmm. be somewhat of a debate over can women teach you know paul will say um, you know, I don't give a woman, uh, I do not permit a woman to teach, to yeah. teach or have authority over man. Mm -hmm. So the question is, what kind of teaching is that? There's some debate mm -hmm. around that. And I think there's good, healthy debate around that. Um, where I fall is I take that as capital T teaching. It's teaching with authority. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's elder like teaching. It's, mm -hmm. uh, the elders who speak on the behalf of the church is mm -hmm. what the church believes this is communicating church doctrine. Uh, I think that's the kind of teaching that's talking about. And so mm -hmm. you think downstream of that. And everyone else who teaches in our church, whether you're a man or a woman, you teach a Sunday school class, if you lead a D group, if you teach a one-off thing, mm -hmm. you are teaching under the authority of the elders. The elders. The elders yeah. have given you the right to teach that. They've given you the material, approved the material. One of the reasons, you know, anyone who teaches in our church, we say, hey, you've either got to use this list of grade upon material or you've got to get it approved mm -hmm. because we are accountable before God for what mm -hmm. is taught to the church. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if some other guy teaches, they're teaching under the authority of the elders. In the same way, if another woman taught, and so and so, therefore, I think yeah. a woman uh, can teach in the church mm -hmm. um, under the authority of the elders. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, I would say the one thing that women cannot do in the church is be an elder. Uh, and Paul seems to clearly lay that out in First uh, Timothy three, uh, both in this passage with male headship um, uh, and this teaching with authority passage we just talked about, mm -hmm. um, and some other places. And so, I think. Uh, it's very clear in the text that the role and function of, and not just all men in general, mm -hmm. qual men who are yeah, qualified yeah. according to First Timothy three. We're not, it's, we're not just sending all the women out of the room, yeah, and no. all the men making the decisions, no. yeah, yeah. And so it's qualified men who are elders, but those elders would be foolish if they would not consult women on mm -hmm. decisions or things they mm -hmm. may be doing. Right? Yeah, we, yeah. we do that all the time. Um, and so, well, you, you know, you mentioned. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Eve being the helper, yeah, and the 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 old time or the, the old testament word, the Hebrew word for helper, yeah. showing up, and and I couldn't, I can't remember this if if it's every other time, uh, in the old testament or not, but when when God is 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 described as helping Israel win these battles, yeah, it's that word. Oh yeah. It's like, so it's like, it's, it, we think helper like, oh, you know, she like does the laundry in the kitchen. And it's like, no, what the Old Testament suggests is like, this is the one who helps the Israelites destroy their yeah. enemies in battle. It's the word is, I think, connected to the word reinforcements. Yeah. It's like God is the helper. He's the reinforcements coming to win the battle for yeah. you. The, the Rohirrim coming over the tribe or yeah. coming over the mountaintop. Yeah. And, uh, at the riders of Rohan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. And so, yeah, we'd be foolish to not use our reinforcements. It's like yeah. if we've got them waiting right over the rim, why, why, yeah. why not call for them? Right. Um, and so, in the church, it is the the burden of qualified and called uh, above reproach men to serve the church as elders, to lead, shepherd, pray, teach uh, the church. Um, now, I, I think that's the only thing women can't do. I think women can teach under the authority of elders. Um, now this is, a, this will be a little controversial and I want to kind of walk through this a little bit and explain this. Um, but you come to the idea of deacons, mm -hmm. uh, can women, can a woman be a deacon? 
Well, the reason I think that uh, you've not seen a lot of women deacons um, in Southern Baptist Church in the last 50 years Mm -hmm. uh, is because churches didn't have elders. They had a pastor and they had deacons. So they had an elder. They had an elder, but they didn't call him that. And they didn't, mm-hmm. they didn't recognize like the plurality of mm-hmm. multiple elders. Mm-hmm. He had one guy. And often he was a traveling preacher, right on horseback from church to church. Um, and this just kind of has stayed up until now. Uh, and so then you've got these deacons. Well, the deacons became these quasi-elders. They became this board that the pastor had to get approval for things for, that he had to go through, that he that was kind of his sounding board or his mm-hmm. authority board. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's the case, yeah, it makes sense that you don't put women on that sort of deacon board because those deacons are functioning. They are in, in, in every functional way, they're elders. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what a deacon is. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a church that actually has the office of pastor-elder and a plurality of them, they have mm-hmm. multiple of them uh, serving, and the deacons are actually being what the deacons are supposed to be. The word deacon means servant. Um, and the deacons are doing what Act 6 says, where the deacons are taking the administrative burden off the elders. That is, they're taking the, uh, in Act 6, they're taking the, the the work of feeding widows off the elders' plate so the elders can teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if the deacons are taking servant burdens off of the pastors or elders, then what about that would disqualify a woman from, like, we mm-hmm. think women can serve. Mm-hmm. So... Why can't they serve with this title? And yeah. in the text, I mean, the two textual reasons I think are important. One, the Bible references a, a deaconess named Phoebe mm-hmm. uh, in the text. But then also when you look at 1 Timothy 3 and the qualifications, so first you have the first paragraph is the qualification for elders. It doesn't mention anything about their wives or women being able to do that. But then you get to the qualification for deacons. And it says in some translations, and the wives, and it gives some things that the wives have to have. But you look at that and you think, well, why do the deacons' wives have to have these certain things, but the elders' wives don't? Mm-hmm. For ar- arguably the the higher office. Well, it is, yeah, it is the higher office. Yeah, Those yeah. who are teach are worthy of double honor. Yeah, yeah. And so the higher office. So shouldn't their wives be held to some have standard? Some standard? Yeah. It's not there. And so then you begin to investigate and say, why are the deacons' wives hold to this? And you look at the word, and the Greek word is gynakos, or we get our word for gynecology, right? And the word gynakos can be translated one of two ways wives or women. Mm-hmm. And so it seems to be that the qualifications for deacons to give some qualifications and then it says, and for the women also, da, 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 gives these yeah. qualifications. Yeah. And so it seems uh, in the 21st century, when you have a plurality of elders and you have um, deacons who are actually being the servants and serving the church by and taking these burdens off the elders, why wouldn't you let women do that? Like mm-hmm. they're not teaching, they're not holding authority over men. Um, there, there's nothing about that role that would suggest a woman couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So, in my opinion, as I and, and, and I want to be clear, like this is based off the text, not oh, we're in the 21st century, we're modernized now, mm-hmm. and, and those things are cultural, and we, we let women do that because we're all equal. No, it's like we. I think this is actually what the text teaches, and I mm-hmm. think we've gotten away. We got away from it well, yeah, for 50, 75 years. And not only is that what the text teaches, but that's how people understood the text to be taught in the past, yeah. right? It's like yeah, yeah. this isn't some new discovery we've made. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's a rediscovery. It's a return of, of something too. old. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I think that's important. Yeah. Um, so, and obviously, our church just couldn't function if women couldn't serve and. 
Lord, least, no. At least, at least, <laughs> most churches at least, at least perform the like the function of deacon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've got a lot of deaconesses in our church without the title. Without the title, and the, yeah, <laughs> they don't get their their face on the website or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, that's funny and true. Uh, well, anything else to add about First Corinthians eleven, the first half at least? I don't think anything so. else you want to say. I well, think that's I think it. I think we covered it, and um, man, I wish I wish Darcy hadn't been out of town. We should have had her on talk about. Uh, we were in the church. Oh, well, yeah. Would have been good, but she's out of town. So anyway, thanks for joining us for the recap. We hope this conversation has encouraged you to keep striving to make Jesus essential in every aspect of your life. If you aren't part of our church family, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday morning. We gather for worship at 1030 a.m. For any more information, you can always go to myfellowship.church. Thanks for listening. Be blessed.